0: Amen. I'm excited to continue our series. I feel like, um, I don't know why, as, as I'm finding my new rhythm for this year and as God's kind of leading me, I just feel like this year is going to be different for, at least for me and my household, for our church. I'm just excited about what's going on. Um, so as we jump back in, I have a question I want to kind of introduce to you and just kind of get you thinking. Um, you can share it with the person next to you if you like. Have you ever done something that you found out later was the wrong way of doing it? Like, for years, you did this one thing the same way over and over and over again, and then later in life, someone's like, that is not how it's done, or that is not how it's said. Well, is there anything like that? If you can think of something, go ahead. I see some head nods, so with the person next to you, what, what is that thing that you're like, for years, I thought, this is how you did, blank, and then later, I found out that was the wrong way of doing it. Anybody? Go ahead, real quick, real quick, with the person next to you. Some of you are like, I have to talk to people? Yes, this is the house of God. We're going to talk to people. I don't know what your thing is. A lot of you had head nods. Actually, it makes me curious when I say that and I see head nods. Like I kind of want to know what yours is now after seeing some head nods. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe for some of you, it's kind of like my sister growing, my older sister, uh, growing up. She always thought grilled cheese was pronounced girl cheese. And so she always said that. She said, I want some girl cheese. And a lot of it was because my uh, stepmom's southern twang she had. And so that's what she'd always say. Can I, can I have girl cheese? And it wasn't until she was in college and went to Sonic with some friends. And she orders over there and says, I'd like some girl cheese. And they go, do what? <laughs> like, like, they don't have boy cheese. Like, what are you talking about, girl cheese? Like, maybe we for years thought, and it was hard for her, she just built into her rhythm or maybe... Maybe it's something a little more different, like me and Emily, Um, whenever we had Addie, our first child, we found out she had all sorts of breathing problems, and we couldn't figure out why. And so for her entire first year, every night, we had to give her a breathing treatment with a nebulizer. It was about 15, 20 minutes. She would scream bloody murder, and it was just a a challenge for a solid year, and she would not sleep good at night. And and we did this every night, like almost a pattern of life. And I was like, this is going to be the rest of her life. And after she turned one years old, we went to the doctor, and the doctor said, go get her allergy tested. And we went and got her tested and found out she was allergic. She was allergic to wheats, eggs, nuts, dog dander. I mean, all that, we had dogs in the house. And uh, my wife changed her diet, and literally overnight, it stopped. So for a solid year, all this time, all this energy of doing this thing, for really nothing, it was like, that wasn't the problem, that wasn't the issue. Have you ever had a situation like that where you've just done something for so long You've built this pattern, this rhythm in your life, and then you find out later that 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 wasn't right. If so, you can relate to Josiah, who we've been looking at, who we're talking about. And if you need to, you can start turning your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 22. Because Josiah, where we pick up, actually where we left off, he's in this situation where he discovers something. The way he's been doing things is not the way to do it. This was not the right way. Even with his best intentions, it was not the right way. You see, we're in this series called A New Rhythm, and it's talking about, listen, we, we have these rhythms of life that we're used to doing. What, what would it look like if this year were different? If we said, I want to create a new rhythm, one that pursues the Lord. Like normally in January, we get in this rhythm like, okay, I want to start losing weight. I want to start eating healthier. I want to get up early. I want to read more, whatever. But what, what would happen, some of us have already lost it after day two. Uh, but what would happen if we said this year as a church, we want to strive after the Lord together? Like this was our agenda, this was our focus, we wanted to create a new rhythm. And we can say at the end of the year, remember 2020, how that year was different because we started seeking after the Lord together. What would that look like? You see, last week we talked about the need to find your rhythm, and hopefully you've done that. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to keep doing that, to do that this week, to find your rhythm when it comes to church, getting engaged in church. And find your rhythm when it comes to reading God's Word. And even more so, what I love is finding your rhythm when it comes to responding to truth when you find it. Like, how do we respond? And it's so important to get first because what we pick up today ties right into it. Because once you find your rhythm, the big idea we're going to see today is then you need to start gathering your band. You need to start getting the people in your life that are going to come with you. Uh, I'm not a musician. I know that probably surprises you. I can't carry a tune in a bucket, out a bucket, anywhere near a bucket. I, I can't do it at all. But me and Emily had to learn how to play guitar and stuff to lead worship for youth because we couldn't afford to pay a band or even then come in. And so I learned to play. Yeah, it was disastrous. A joyful noise, the Lord says, right? It was a noise, and it was joyful to a few. Uh, But we we learned. I began to find my rhythm with it. But then me and Emily had to learn to do this together, and we challenged each other. We started to gather our band. We started to make this together, and, and it became a beautiful thing. What happens when we start gathering our band together? And we'll look at that today. So hopefully you're in Second Kings chapter 22. In case you're wondering, First and Second Kings is all about Israel's history of kings who have come in and out of leadership. You have First and Second Solomon, where you have Saul, the first king of Israel, comes in place, and that really was not the guy that needed to be. It was this guy named David, who God really wanted to be there, but Israel demanded a king, and they found the most impressive-looking guy possible, this guy named Saul, and he just didn't quite cut out. But the guy who you would never expect to be the guy was David, became king. And first and second Solomon uh, Samuel, sorry, he he went through all this. He became king, and, and it's about David's life. And then you get to first and second kings, and you have this whole situation where David's son Solomon takes over. And after Solomon dies, you just have this repeat cycle of kings, one after another, after another, after another. And you have this king, imagine the, 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 uh, the Israel people, you have this constant, things going good, things going terrible, things going good, things going terrible, following God, completely abandoning God. That's what the entire First and Second Kings looks like. And where we left off and where we pick up today, Josiah comes from a family, his grandfather and his father have just been crash coursing Israel into a, a nosedive of running from God and yet when we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 22 verse 1, he starts turning things back around. He starts pursuing the Lord. As a matter of fact, verse 3, we find out in his 18th year, he starts seeking after the Lord. He says, we need to rebuild the temple. It's been torn down. He begins rebuilding the temple. He begins starts valuing the things that need to be valued. And when we pick up in verse 11, when we left off. They find the book of the law that they had lost, the Bible. The Bible they had, which would probably be the Pentateuch at that time, the first five books of the Old Testament. They, they find it. Somehow it had been missing. And they find it. And when they pick it up, they bring it to him and they read it to him. Verse 10 tells us it says, The priest Hilkiah has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. And verse 11 is where we left off. It says, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. That was a sign of regret. It was a sign of, woe is me. Like, what have I done? You see what happened in verse 11? Josiah gets exposed to the realization that the things he's been doing his whole life did not match up to what he's just read or just heard. How how is he going to respond? What is he going to do? Have you ever been in a moment like this where you find God's word and suddenly you read and it doesn't line up to what you have been doing or what you want to do? Kind of be honest, this is a real crossroads our society is in now. We get in a pattern of life that we like, that we enjoy, that we find. And when we get exposed to God's word, we come to realize that this is not what God's word says. And so what do we do? We don't change our life to adapt scripture. We change scripture to adapt to our life, don't we? We reinterpret it. Well, I don't like the way that says because I want to continue to do this. And so because of that, that just surely doesn't mean this because I find joy in this. And there's no way I'd find joy in something that was wrong, right? And so we reinterpret Scripture. And this is where our society is going, and many churches are leaving in droves away from what God's Word actually says to fit what they want to hear. There's a, there's a need for us today to do our due diligence to Scripture and say, what does this say and what does this actually mean? And How does, how does my life need to change, not just how does Scripture need to change? God's Word should stay the same. And, and here's the problem, if God's word changes and our life stays the same, something's off kilter, right? If you've ever read God's word and it has not changed your life, listen, you're, you're not reading scripture right. And Josiah's exposed, and so what, he's exposed to something that is not the way it's been done, so what is he going to do? And so hopefully you have your Bibles to Second Kings chapter 22, we're going to read 12 through uh, 23 actually, uh, but uh, we'll break it down in pieces. So 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 11 says, When the king heard the words of the book of Law, he tore his clothes. And what, what is he going to do? It says, Then he commanded the priest, Heakim, son of Shaphan, Akbar, son of Micaiah, the court secretary Shaphan, and the king's secretary Isaiah. He said, Go and inquire of the Lord for me, the people, and all Judah, about the words in this book that has been found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book in order to do something written, to do it. Sorry, everything written about us. I love right there, his first step in response of taking Scripture seriously means getting others involved. The first thing he does when he realizes, like, listen, something's off kilter, he doesn't just go, listen, I need to read this to myself, I need to try to figure out for myself. He tries to gather people. Taking God's Word seriously means getting other people involved in the process. Do you realize that? Isn't that counterculture to what we run into today? Like, how often do we want to make faith personal? It's about me and the Lord, and that's it. Can I just tell you, when I read Scripture, I find very little biblical evidence that backs that up. Scripture, when you come to God's Word, when you find God's uh, truth coming to you, it's not supposed to be in the context of by yourself in isolation. It's always meant to be in the context of community. God created Adam, and he's by himself, and what does he say? It's not good for him to be alone. like, this is not good, bro. Like we need to create someone for to be with you. Jesus, whenever he left, he didn't say, listen, go off and live out your faith as happy as you want by yourself. He says, no, go and start the church and get this going as a community of believers together. And yet we often want to make faith just, it's my faith, it's my Lord, it's my relationship, and it is. But listen, if you live it out completely that, you're not living in the context of Scripture. You're meant to live in a faith-based community with other people. What we're supposed to do it with other people. And can I tell you, there's something even in the world today we see that when we start pursuing the Lord and we do stuff as a team, we find success in life in these things. Even take dieting, as, as you may look. Uh, NBC News statistics I found online said this. It said one study found that in case of dieting, that 95% of those who started a weight loss program with friends actually completed the program. 95%. I think back of my own time whenever I actually tried to work out on a regular basis, and every year of January, I'd start it and get a membership, and I wouldn't cancel it until November, right? Even though I started, at the, it stopped at the end of January, I, I kind of quit working out. But, but for me, the best I've ever had is when I started working out with friends, guys who would hold me accountable, when I would get up in the morning and go, I do not want to get up, but I know if I don't get to the gym, this guy that I work out with is going to be by himself. I can't let him down. i got to show up. 95% more likely to finish it. As a matter of fact, they said researchers at K-State found that people who exercised with someone they thought was better than them increased their workout time and intensity by 200%. Being challenged by someone you thought was maybe stronger, better than you, increased your, your, your drive by 200%. Can I tell you, those same truths come to God's Word and us reading it. When we sit here and we hold each other accountable and we encourage and it, it listen. It challenges us like none other. And yet too often we find truth, we study God's word, we want to lock ourselves in our closet and read it to ourselves and say, God, what does this mean to me? Instead of saying, listen, how do we wrestle with this together? In scripture, you talk about this. It's all about finding perspective and support. In scripture, the word that we use is edify. That word, it means literally like this, it means to fine-tune ourselves into the person God wants us to be, and it's done in the context of community by yourself, and I love when it comes to taking God's word seriously and involved gathering other people together. Hey, I need help in this. Hey, hey, let's get all the people, I need their input, I need their understanding, we need to pull this together. And so he gathers these people together, and he says, go and find out what these words mean, because what I'm reading is not good. And so verse 14 through 17, it says, So the priests Hilkiah, Ahiakim, Akbar, Shaphan, and Uzziah went to the prophes- prophetess Huldah, wife of Shulam, son of Tikvah. I love that name, Tikvah. I don't know why. Son of Harhas, the keeper of the wardrobe. How would you like being known for that? Hey, what do you do? Well, I am the keeper of the wardrobe. What does that mean? I keep an eye on the wardrobe. I actually read all over trying to find out what the scholarly like, what does this mean? And they said it's probably someone who kept track of the priestly garments at the temple or the kingly garments. But hey, that's what he did for 11. He was the keeper of the wardrobe. I don't know if you can get a college degree in that, but it might. So it says she lived in Jerusalem, the second district, and they went and spoke with her. It's oddly interesting, all these specific details. And I try to dig apart the details, and honestly, I got lost in the minutia of all that's going on. But what's interesting to me is these details are specific. You know why? Because this is a real account. This is not some story of Zeus. This is not a story of Hercules the Great, the Mighty. This is real people. Like, oh yeah, you remember that person? Yeah, his dad's Tikva. He was, he was the keeper of the wardrobe. They live in the second district of Jerusalem. These were real people. These are real things going on. And sometimes we want to read scripture like it's fairy tale and listen. This is real truth and that's why there's so many strange details going on. But they go and find this prophetess Huldah and says, "Can you help us understand and in verse 15?" She said to them, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Say to the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says. I'm about to bring disaster on this place." And on its inhabitants, fulfilling all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Because they have abandoned me and burned incense to other gods in order to anger me with all the work of their hands. You see, my wrath will be kindled against this place, it will not be quenched. I, I love, I don't really love, but a sad truth as she opens up is, points out that God takes sin seriously. He's like, listen, you guys have abandoned, you wouldn't worship the other God. You have actually built altars to other gods in my temple. How do you think I'm going to respond? He's like, listen, I'm going to take their sins very seriously. There's consequences to your actions. There's a truth when it comes to Scripture. God is a man of his word. He says what he means, and he means what he says. He's going to follow through. And yet today, how often do we honestly take sin seriously in the world? (laughs) You won't believe me. My friends were gossiping. Probably shouldn't have done that, but I'll quit. Like, listen, God takes this stuff seriously. How seriously does he take it? John 3.16 says, for enough that he sent his own son to die on the cross for our sins. Why would he do that? Romans six twenty eight says, for the wages of sin is death. The wage, the payment we receive for our sin, for our saying, laughing at these little things, is death. And how serious it is, is God sent his only son to pay for that. God takes sin seriously. He doesn't scoff or joke around about that. And so we say it's just gossip. He's like, yeah, that gossip sacrificed my son on the cross. Well, let's not tow around like this is some joke, some petty thing. Think about this for a second. What would it take for you to sacrifice your kid? Imagine that for a second. You're in God's shoes and to, to pay this penalty that you take so seriously and you sacrifice and you gave up your son, your child, your daughter, and they come and like, <laughs> listen, I was totally lying right there, my bad. I'm like, yeah, my bad. I just sent my son to die on the cross for that. We joke about this. That the most I find closest to this today that someone might give up is a commercial I found the other day about Klondike bars. That, yeah, that's the closest thing I found. Last year, there was a commercial about Klondike bars, and they came to this pregnant women and said, listen, we want the, bir- the naming rights of your child. If you give us the naming rights of your child, we'll give you a lifetime supply of Klondike bars. Yeah, thank you. Klondike bars. And so they had the situation where they're sitting there discussing and arguing, like, listen, so explain this again. If you'd allow us to name your kid Klondike, have the birthright, the name rights of that, we will give you a lifetime supply of Klondike bars. They finally come and say, what about the middle name? Like, we'll do it. And this mother actually says, listen, my kid's middle name for the rest of their life will be Klondike Bar, middle name, and we get a lifetime supply of Klondike Bars. We laugh and joke at that, right? But when you really come to a point and say, really, when it comes to giving my kid, what would I do? How many of us would say, yeah, I would do that. It's just the thing. Listen, God takes sin seriously. He takes it seriously. He does not fool around with it. He doesn't think it's cute. He doesn't think they're petty, white lies. He doesn't think it's a little addiction. He takes it seriously. And we look at it small, and we think, man, it's such an insignificant thing, but it's not the size of our sin. It's the size of the God that we've sinned against. God God is so great that when we sin against him, he takes it seriously. What I love is the second part of that, because he tells Him, says, listen, God's going to bring punishment for their wickedness. God's going to do what he says he's going to do. But then she says, say this to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord of God Israel says. As for the words that you heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard that I spoke against the place and against its inhabitants, that you would become a desolation and a curse. And because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, I will indeed gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to the grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am bringing to this place. Then they report to the king. You see, while in one instance God takes sin seriously, I love the other aspect is God also gives grace generously. He comes and gives grace generously. He comes and and, and says, listen, because you've repented, There's something about when we come and acknowledge and we're broken for what we've done, and we come and say, God, please forgive me. Like, listen, I'm so wrong for this. God extends grace generously. Can I tell you something? When it comes to us, you're either standing on one side or another with God. Either you are standing in place of God's wrath, or you're standing in the basking in his generous grace. If you've not accepted his gift, if you've not accepted the love, the grace of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, can I tell you something? You are standing in place of his wrath. And too many people want to think, man, if I come to church, if I act good enough, if I read my Bible enough, if I do all sorts of stuff enough, it will be enough. And can I tell you, it will never be enough. You have to come and accept this gift. You have to repent just as Josiah did. So some of you I'm talking right now, and you're starting to think, is that me? And you have a hint of doubt. Listen, you you cannot leave this place with a hint of doubt. And so at any point, right now, whatever, we'll have elders in the back standing by the car. I encourage you to go talk to them. Don't wait for the end for a response. Like, listen, i got to wait till Eric gives me a response time. No, listen, the response is right now. Maybe God's stirring your heart like, listen, is that me? You go and talk. At any point in the service, they're going to be back there. I'd encourage you to do that. But we can't toy around with sin. We can't act like it's nothing like God really wouldn't punish me. Listen, God takes it seriously. But when we repent, God gives it generously. And what I love is the situation is that they, they tell him says, listen, because you've repented, Do you know what happens? Because you've done this, because you've shown brokenness for what you've done, because you've you've begged for forgiveness, you will not experience the judgment I'm giving. You're going to stand outside that. What's interesting to me as I see is Josiah doesn't stop there. It's not the end of the story. Because chapter 23, it picks up. It says, they reported to the king and said, so the king sent messengers. He continues on. Why does he continue on? Like he's received grace, like he's being delivered from the punishment. He doesn't have, like, I'm good, I've got my pass, I'm good, I've checked the box, God's told me I have that promise to hold on to. Why does he continue on? Because listen, it's not about getting a ticket out of somewhere or into somewhere. It's not about an athletic pass, it's about a relationship with a loving God. And too many people want to come and pray and say, God, forgive me. I want to go to heaven. Please give me my ticket because I want to cash it in later. And completely miss the idea of a loving Savior. Josiah gets it. He's been forgiven. He's received grace. He's received this goodness. He's received the past, but now he gets to enjoy the relationship. How many of us miss that? Listen, last year for some of us, many of us might be just that. Where we spent the whole year just thinking, man, I need my ticket. And you've missed the date that was there, the whole relationship that can be there. That this year can be different. How is it different? Well, look at what he does next. Verse 23. If scripture doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. It says, chapter 23, verse 1 through 3. So the king sent messengers, and they gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And the king went to the Lord's temple with all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as well as the priests and the prophets and all the people from the youngest to the oldest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. Next, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant in the Lord's presence to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul in order to carry all the words uh, of the covenant that were written in the book. And all the people agreed to the covenant. I love what he does next, is what our big idea is. He, he finds his rhythm, but then he starts gathering his band together. Like, like notice three things I want to draw out of this. this is your application. Like, God's word does not just make us feel good, it actually is applicable to our life. He, he gathers, he reads, and he commits. First thing he does, look at him, he says, then he gathered all the, other. he started bringing these people together. He brought them together for intentional, but listen, listen, we got to start pursuing the Lord. We, I need you all to come in. From the top down, the elders, to to the other leaders, the young, the old, everyone, he brought them in. When it comes to our walk with the Lord this next year, the first thing we do is we have to gather people with us and say, listen, I need people to commit to this journey with me. Will you come in with me? Intentional friends are intentionally found. You can't just fall into place like, hopefully, if I just start pursuing the Lord, people will naturally just fall into place with me and I'll find people. No, you have to intentionally ask. When I started wanting to work out and started to eat healthy, I didn't just say, man, maybe I'll go to the gym and someone just might magically show up every day and start lifting weights with me and tell me to quit being fat. I don't know. Maybe that'll happen. No, I'd intentionally call guys and say, listen, I need to do this. Would you come and work out with me? Would you do this with me? Listen, the same is with our relationship with the Lord. It doesn't just happen. You need to ask people to do it with you. Listen, I want this year to be different. But Would you come and be different with me? Would you commit this year with me? Like for you, this may mean in your families, in your homes. You might need to sit down with your kids, your wife, your friends, and say, listen, guys, I, 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 haven't, I haven't been doing this. And I can't do this on my own, but I need you to do this with me. Can we commit together as a family? Would, we, would you guys do this with me? For some of us, this is our connecting groups. You need to engage that. Listen, our bread and butter at this church is connecting groups. If you're not engaging that, you are strongly missing out. Maybe it's your coworkers, the people you do life with. But here's the question I want you to think. Who is someone you could ask? Right now in your mind, in your heart of hearts, as I'm talking about this, I'm hitting home and saying, who is someone, who is that person? If you were to write that name across that blank space in your mind right now, who would that be? And if I could ask this person, I just just need to reach out to them. Think about that. And so he gathers them together. It says, and the king went, in verse 2, to the Lord's temple with all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem as well as the priests and prophets, and all the people from youngest to old, and he read in their hearing all the words. I, I love. They went and they read. They went to church. They began making church. We talked about this a priority, and they began reading. They began walking through God's word together. They began saying, "Listen, let's read this. What does this mean? How do we live this out? What does this mean? Why does He do this?" Because when you do that, it creates accountability and insight. When you have other people wrestling with Scripture with you, they bring different perspective that maybe you have not seen before. I think about this in my own life as a different situation. Recently, I got the joint pleasure of replumbing my house. Yeah, it was a great time over Christmas break. That's what we did. We ran new PEX pipes through my house because I had a leak in my foundation. And so we go and do this. I know nothing about replumbing. My dad does. He's an expert in carpentry. And so he's coming. He's helping me. We're doing this together. I'm sitting with them as we're replumbing my house. Now here's the thing, my dad's an expert. I have no business telling him anything about carpentry. I know how to hold a nail and a flashlight. I'm really good at that. And so I'm sitting next to him working as we're doing stuff, and I remember saying, hey, dad, listen, what if we did this? Why don't we run it through this right here? What if we nailed it right here? My dad, being the expert, goes, hey, that's a great idea. I didn't see it like that. My dad's an expert. He knows it all, but having a different perspective, a different set of eyes, let him see something that he didn't see before. That's what the value of other people come in. I love myself getting to go sit in connecting groups and go talk, and we wrestle scripture. You know why? Because even after all my studies, listen to other people saying, listen, this is what I said. Man, I didn't even see that. I've read it so long over and over, I completely missed that whole aspect of the story. It brings perspective. And here's not just, as I don't walk away going, man, that felt great, we actually hold each other accountable to it, which is the next part. They went, they read together, but then most of all, I love, they committed. To the next, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant. In the Lord's presence to follow the Lord and to keep his commands and decrees and he, he, he Listen, it he says he, he agreed to carry out the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And he challenged them to do the same. It says they agreed. Literally, it means they stood in the covenant with them. That's what that word agreed means too. I love to literally stand in with him, say, we're with you on this. They committed to living out what they've read. How often do we read God's word just to make us feel good about ourselves, don't we? Can I tell you something? God's word is not a feel-good story. It's a life-changing situation. Sometimes we want to read God's Word like this picture. Go ahead and put that picture up. Yeah, you know what that is? Some of you got some on your shelf right now at home, don't you? Chicken Soup for the Soul. Came out in 1993, sold 500 million, million copies. And the whole book is just all about these feel-good stories. Oh, man, feel good about yourself. Oh, that's so uplifting and encouraging. Can we tell you something? We read, none of that changes our life, right? Right? We read it and we just feel warm and bubbly on the inside and walk away feeling good about ourselves. God's word is not that way. It's not chicken soup for the soul we're like, ooh, God's awesome. No, it changes, it morphs, it transforms our, mind, our bodies and our minds through the renewing of our minds, the scripture says. And if you read God's word just to make you feel good, you're neglecting what God's word says. And too often when it comes to reading scripture, we stop right there. We read it and say, man, I checked my box this week, I'm good, and we never let it transform our lives. God's word should change you. And Josiah comes and reads and says, listen, I'm not just going to commit to reading this. I'm going to commit to let it change me. When I read truth, when I read where it says I should do this, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do that. When it says love my neighbor, I really hate this guy, so that's who I'm going to love first. It's uncomfortable. God says give my best. I'm going to give my best. When God says to do this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go above and beyond. We commit. What would it look like if you and a group of people routinely got together, you challenged and encouraged one, you read God's word together, you, you, you sharpened one and said, listen, have you thought about this? Have you seen this? Exposed truth left you. And then they come and say, listen, let's do this. This week, let's, let's live this out. God's word says this, so let's report back. Let's, let's challenge each other to do this. I know it's not going to be easy. It's going to be uncomfortable. Any change is, but it has to change us. Reading for a change, not good feelings. When you see in Scripture this happened in Acts chapter 2, what does this look like? I read it last week, and I'm going to read it one more time for you. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Listen. Listen to how they do this. When they gather, they read, and they commit. It says, they, being the first disciples, the first church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with all many wonders and signs that were being performed through the apostles. You see, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They, they sold their possessions and property and distributed proceeds to all as any is needed. What would lead them to do that? Because God's word tells them to do that. Like, you know what? This is going to suck, but we're going we're gonna to sacrifice for the better good of others because that's what God's word called us to. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And I love this. Every day, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. If we have three people a year get saved in our church, we pat ourselves on the back. Every day. Why? Because they're pursuing and seeking the Lord together. For us today, listen, what does that look like for you, Example day, maybe for you, 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 gathering is your family, your friends, your connecting group. I don't know. Maybe communicating daily because they didn't have texting. It's texting through group me, through pigeon mail, if you need to. I don't know what it is. How do you communicate de- daily? Saying, "Listen, this is what I read. This is what we're wrestling together." Reading. What does it look like? You have the U version Bible app. I, I recommend this stuff. Reading Scripture app. Listen, that is a great resource. That having that, you can go and challenge one another. Listen, let's read through the Bible in a year. Let's find another thing. You can read John in 21 days if you read one chapter a day. Do you know that most people say that it takes 21 days to create a new habit? In John, exactly 21 chapters. One chapter a day, you go through the entire book of John, you create a new habit for life. What would that look like if you said, let's do this together, let's read the gospel? Commit, what a daily, weekly, you, you, you talk saying, listen, how do we commit to living this? What's our daily takeaway? What's our weekly application for this? What's our class challenge this week that we can go and live this out? And I want to hear next week how God's grooming us, how he's pushing us. I love one class, I'm not saying other classes aren't, but in in the Cox's Group Me account, man, they plug me into that, and I see as a class, they're reading through Galatians right now, as a class, and they're talking about, what does this look like? Listen, find your rhythm and gather your band. How can we pursue the Lord together? Who's going to be in your band? If this year is going to be different, can I tell you something? You're going to have to be different. You just can't do the same thing. I want to show you a picture real quick. This is a guy named Eliud Kipchoge. I probably butcher the name, but it's all good. Do you guys remember this last year? Does account count what this guy did? Th- this guy broke a record. He ran a full marathon in under two hours. I can't walk a mile in two hours. He ran a full marathon in two hours. That- that's a four-minute and 35-second pace that he ran. Now we see this picture, he broke a record, like, like shattered it, and you see the picture behind him. It's amazing what this guy did. But when you see and you Google his name, this is what nearly every picture you will find. But when you look at the next one, what's going on for all 23 of the, or all but one mile, I don't even know how much a marathon is, that's how, 26, is that it? All 25 to 26 miles, you have this right here. He has a team running with him that's helping him pace and keep on track. But they said without this team, it would be impossible for him to do it. And yet the pictures we see are him at the finish line by himself. Listen, it's about the team. It's about people around you who edify you, grow you, make you better. It's the people who push you to do more than you can ever imagine. It's as Andrew Carnegie once said, teamwork is the ability to work together toward a common vision. It's the fuel that allows common people to attain uncommon results. Who's your team that's going to run with you? Stride and stride, push you, challenge you. Again, if this year is going to be different, you're going to have to be different. I asked you earlier, who's a person you had in mind? And so here's my application, but I don't want to just leave and just slap ourselves on the back and call ourselves good. I literally, right now, that person you thought of, I want you to get your phone out right now and text them. Well, I'm talking, I'm begging you to get your phone out in service. I know, this is crazy. And you text them, say, hey, would you help me with something this year? If you're feeling convicted and you're feeling led, don't just leave, like, I'll think about it on the way home. No, right now you get your phone and say, Listen, w- would you do something with me this year? Don't, don't let me escape today without talking to you. Text them right now. Today, this year, is going to be different. If you need to challenge yourself, if you need encouragement, if you need prayer, listen, we have elders in the back that would love nothing more than to pray for you and to help you. As a church, listen, we, we have to do things differently. Doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results is what Albert Einstein said. It's just absolutely insane. It's got to be different. It's got to be different. I I need help. I'm asking that. I need help. It's a brother in Christ. I need help. And I pray some of you would come on this journey with me. And so if God's leading you, listen, respond. Don't just read it and feel like, oh, that's a great sermon, or that was okay, a mediocre, whatever. Do something. Let God change you. as you pray, as you think in your spot where you're at right now, if you need to respond listen, I'm not going to have you come forward you go to the back right there, we would love to talk to you, encourage you if you're the person earlier I was talking about that you don't know which side of God you're standing on, whether you're standing in his wrath or his grace, listen, get that pen down right now these guys would love to talk to you I'll be back there with them right after service I'd love to talk to you but let this year be different as we wrap our service and we're about to pray, I'm, we're going to take up our offering as well Right, that's another area, listen, I, I struggle as well. And I'm going to ask that you come along attorney as well as be faithful to give what God's called you to give. If you're a member, you have committed to make this church your responsibility as we're your responsibility. And you're our responsibility. We care about you. But you have a responsibility to help support what's going on. And so as the plate comes around, I encourage you to give. If you forgot your phone, if you forgot, like a check, cash, whatever, listen, you can go to the church website, northpoint.tv, and there's a place you can set up on Kindred app to go and, go and pay right there. You can do it. You can even set up a recurring thing every single week if you need that to help you. There's nothing wrong with that. But you be faithful to that. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to respond how God's lead you to respond, and we're going to just worship the Lord as we exit. Father God, you are good. God, I, I pray that this church would be different not so we can pat ourselves on the back and praise ourselves for being an amazing group of people or or to boost our statistics on growth or anything, but because if we're going to reach other people, God, we have to start with ourselves. If I'm going to impact my kids, God, I know I have to start with myself. If I'm going to love my wife and lead her and and back and forth, God, I'm going to have to start with myself. And So God, I pray that I, I would hold my commitment true. Just as Josiah stood before all the people in the church and before the pillar and said, I commit to doing my part. I commit to seeking after you. God, I commit that, and I pray others would do the same. God, let this year be different. Help us to find a new rhythm. I praise you for being good in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.